Okay, so Ezekiel, if you need a Bible, raise your hands. We are in chapter 31, right in the heart of Ezekiel, rather, rather chapter 30. Chapter 30 of Ezekiel. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name, Lord, that we can go right to the heart of your prophets and into the word, Lord. And there's a message for us, Lord, today in 2013. And Father, you... Tell us in your, in your word, in the New Testament, that all scripture is God-breathed, useful for our edification, for our reproof, for our building up. And I just pray, Father, Lord, just believing in you, that that very thing is going to happen this evening as we go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the prophet Ezekiel prophesying at the same time as Jeremiah, but 900 miles apart. Jeremiah in Jerusalem, Ezekiel in Babylon. The kingdom in Israel, starting with Saul, King Saul. After Saul was David, who established the messianic reign of kings, the line of kings, For 350, 400 years, God established Israel to be a reflection of his love and reflection of his glory to the nations, to the Gentiles. And he established Israel also for the purpose, um, again, to be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself. But that Genesis chapter 3 thing, man falling into sin, Israel inheriting that same gene pool, that, that tendency, that inclination to rebellion. And uh, soon after the, the kingdom was established. You would have this cycle of good kings and bad kings and good kings and bad kings and God always faithful to send the prophets. But now we're drawing to a close where the Bible again, he says that the Bible says that God will not, God's spirit will not strive with man forever. And uh, the, the, there's just been generations of, of kings and generations um, in Israel just rebelling against the Lord. You know, they, they came in about 800 years earlier before the time of the judges after Moses brought them out of Egypt into the land of Israel and they moved out these nations who were practicing abominations, sacrificing children um, at the altars of their gods and involved in all kinds of 
terrible religious rituals, which were really nothing more than the worship of the baser nature of man. Uh, sex, drunkenness, excess, this type of thing. And at this point, Ezekiel prophesying here one or two years before the fall of Jerusalem, things had gotten so bad that as we have seen, their practice was worse than in the nations that existed prior to them occupying the land. And so Jeremiah saying, look, you guys, the Babylonians are going to come up from actually what's modern-day Iraq from Babylon, and they're going to wipe out this city and this nation and this temple. That was just unthinkable of them. There's no way that God is going to allow a foreign pagan nation to come up and destroy the temple. This temple's always been here. We're the people of God. We have this inheritance, this heritage from the Lord. And you know, unfortunately, the church has been doing this even to this day. Thinking because, wow, I was born into a Christian family or I'm in this big church building that surely God is going to protect us. But the Bible says that God desires obedience, not sacrifice, obedience, obedience to his word. And they were just going through the motions, doing the daily sacrifices required by the Old Testament, but there was no obedience. And they're like, no heart for the Lord. And so uh, Ezekiel spent, we were in about 12 chapters dealing specifically with the prophecies against Israel, but a few chapters back, I think it was 25, 26, 27, Ezekiel moves from prophesying against Israel to prophesying against the nations surrounding Israel, who actually had a history of persecuting God's people, but not only that, just lifting themselves up with pride, with incredible pride. And so I'm just going to put up this map again. And uh, I think this will be the last time we see this map uh, this evening. But in these chapters, actually, he, he is going to be prophesying. Uh, we've already, he's been prophesied against Philistia in the bottom left. That's the Philistines. He's prophesied Edom's, the descendant of... of um, of Esau, Moab, the descendant of Lot, Ammon, the descendant of Lot, and then also he prophesied against Tyre and Sidon, and we were in, uh, uh, and also, yeah, I mentioned Ammon as well, and also Tyre and Sidon, we were in uh, Tyre the last week and the week before where you have this incredible picture of Lucifer, that uh, there was this uh, picture there in chapter 28 uh, where we find out who actually was behind this amazing world power of Tyre who controlled the Phoenicians, controlled the Mediterranean Sea, had a complete monopoly on the commerce. And for that reason, they were just fabulously wealthy. 
And, you know, in, in, in Revelation, we ran out of time last week, but the spirit of the Antichrist is also the spirit, the spirit of Babylon, rather, is that, sp- that, that, that commercial Babylon it's referred to, where commerce uh, it, it, it really the, is the spirit of the, of the Antichrist and, uh, in, and with sort of a, a satanic influence behind it. And we saw that very thing last week where there's all of a sudden this picture of Satan himself, Lucifer, arises in chapter um, 28 where uh, God says in verse 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And you were an anointed cherub, speaking of Lucifer. Um, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. But then he was cast out. He was cast to the ground. And so that was Tyre. So we, see, we saw in that chapter that Satan himself has a role in the rise of certain nation or, or it, it, and may also have a actual influence in the power uh, of certain nations controlling commerce and, and, and this type of thing. And, and commercial Babylon, commerce that we were talking about this morning, mammon can be an idol itself and Satan can stir the whole thing up. But then we moved into Egypt in chapter 29 and in chapter 30, uh, in chapter 30 it continues and that's where we are this evening. Now remember Egypt 2 had been an example of just incredible pride, in, in, in incredible pride. Remember what we saw last week that um, Pharaoh says about the river Nile in, in verse 3. It says, Pharaoh, who has said, my river is my own, I made it for myself. So Pharaoh had taken on deity himself, and he was himself worship as a god. God will not be mocked eventually God has his way with the nations. That's why we haven't seen a single world empire rule for the last four, three or 4,000 years because pride always gets involved. And as we'll see today, it lifts itself up to the point where God has to judge. God is perfect in justice. Verse 1 of chapter 30 says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Wail, woe to the day. On the King James it says, Howl. Oh, I like that. Ooh, I miss those words from the King James. Howl, howl. Woe to the day, for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, the time of Gentiles. Gentiles. Uh, means the nations, where the nations are going to come in and wipe out Egypt, who too had lifted up itself with, with, with pride, amazing pride. The sword, the sword shall come upon Egypt, and great anguish shall be in Ethiopia when the slain fall in Egypt, and when they take away her wealth, and her foundations are broken down. Ethiopia, Libya, Lydia, all the mingled people, Chub, 
and the men of the land who are allied shall fall with them by sword. So as in many times uh, throughout history, the United States is a world power today, but it has different allies around the world, England, Japan, Germany. These were allies of Ethiopia, or le- uh, rather of Egypt, lesser powers at the time, but allies, Ethiopia, Libya, Lydia, all of them would fall because they relied upon Egypt. Thus says the Lord, those who uphold Egypt, verse 6, shall fall. The pride of her power shall come down from Migdal to Cyrene. So that means from north to south, kind of like saying from Dan in the north of Israel to Beersheba in the south. Migdol, I believe that's in the north. Syene is in the south. Those within her shall fall by the, by the uh, sword. Verse 7, they shall be desolate in the midst of desolate countries. Her cities shall be in the midst of cities that are laid waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have set a fire in Egypt and all her helpers are destroyed. On that day, messengers shall go forth from me in ships to make the careless Ethiopians afraid. Why were the Ethiopians careless? Because they had an alliance with Egypt. And great anguish shall come upon them as on the day of Egypt, for indeed it is coming. Thus says the Lord, I will also make a multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now remember... Notice how it says, by the, I will make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar here, a pagan king used as an instrument of the Lord. And again, God does this. This has been a theme throughout Ezekiel. He uses instruments to judge Israel, instruments to judge the nations who may not even be worshipers of God. Uh, but the Lord does that. He's doing that to this day. Their instruments of judgment may be used against the United States who, have, who may be completely atheist or worship some other god or deity. He does that with his people to chasten his people, but he also does that with nations that rise up in, uh, you know, in pride. Now, God, in, we saw him in Exodus he didn't use another instrument to execute judgment. He executed it by his own hands. Remember that? Ten plagues. What were they, by the way? The ten plagues. Hurry up. Number one, water, blood. Number two, (laughs) whoa. Number three, gnats, then flies, then livestock. Six, boils. Seven, yes, I'm shocked. Eight. No. Locusts. Amazing. He said it. Darkness. And the last one, death of the firstborn. And this incredible uh, picture foreshadowing of the cross where uh, the, the sign of the cross actually made with blood over the door of the Jews and on the side of the posts and the angel of death did not come in, not because of anything, any good or bad thing that had been done in the house, but because of the blood. They saw the blood. And the blood, of course, was not put on the Egyptian doors, all the firstborn. So, but anyway, that was the, the angel of the Lord who did that destroying. He can destroy by his own hand. 
but oftentimes he does use an instrument. Verse 11, he and his people with him, the most terrified of nations shall be brought to destroy the land. They shall draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. I will make the rivers dry and sell the land into the hand of the wicked. I will sell the hand in the, into the hand of the wicked. Now, this is an awfully strange thing that the, the, the Lord is giving the hand into the hand of the wicked. You know, sometimes the church complains. Look at all this wickedness is coming into the United States and, 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 and tormenting us and, and, and this type of thing. Well, you know, pause. Maybe it's the hand of the Lord. Maybe it's because the church has been lazy. Maybe it's because the church hasn't been doing its job. Maybe it's because we're not teaching the word and living for righteousness. Uh, and as we were t- talking about this morning, maybe it's because we're, we're not obeying the word of God with our resources, with what God has given us, with our talents. I will make the rivers dry and sell the land into the hand of wickedness. I will make the land waste and all that is in it by the hand of aliens. I, the Lord, have have spoken. Verse 13, thus says the Lord, I will also destroy the idols. This is speaking of Egypt. Egypt, a land filled with idols. And when the Israelites left Egypt, what did they do? As soon as Moses went up to Mount Sinai, they just brought out some of their Egyptian idols, a golden calf, and just took up what they had done back home. They were supposed to leave the idols behind, but they took some along with them. I will destroy the idols. Again, um, a land full of idols, the ancient historian Polanius, I believe he's the 2nd century B.C., maybe A.D., I think he's B.C., reports that the son of Cyrus, king of Persia, Cambyses, the son of Cyrus, came in against Egypt and he actually put dogs, cats, and ibises. Do you know what ibises are? Anybody? Someone knows what ibises are. That's what I thought it was too until I did Google image. And I all of a sudden it was like, oh boy, am I wrong. It's, it's like, a, it's like a, a stork sort of deal. Uh, it's like a, a bird, an ibis. And he put these things in front of his army and, and this one Egyptian city refused to touch it because they're all a bunch of gods. You see what superstition will do to you? It will destroy you. Um, but they were, they're a nation filled with idols. But God says, I will destroy the idols, cause the image, images to seek, uh, cease from Noph, which is Memphis, lower Egypt. They shall no longer be princes from the land of Egypt. I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I will make... Pathros, which is Upper Egypt, desolate, set fire to Zoan, execute judgments in No. It's the name of a city. I will pour fury, my fury on Sin, also the name of a city. The strength of Egypt, I will cut off the multitude of No. So I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I've been so encouraged in the past week in my own devotion time reading Psalm 91. There's a different set of I wills in Psalm 91. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me. This is the Lord speaking. 
Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer him. I will be with him in times of trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. I like those I wills. Much more than these I wills, I, would, I, I, might, I must say. Verse, verse 16 I'll set a fire in Egypt. Sin shall have great pain. No shall be split open. Noph shall be in distress. Young men of Avon and Pi Beseth shall fall by the sword, and these cities shall go into captivity. Now, this is all a prophetic word. It's all a prophetic word. At the very end of this chapter, last few words of chapter 30, verse 26, what does it say? Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Why? Because God predicted the whole thing. And somehow this word is, is getting to Egypt. Ezekiel is in Babylon at this time, but the word's going to get to Egypt and they are going to know. At verse 18, to Hathanes, the day shall be darkened when I break the yokes of Egypt there and her arrogant strength shall cease from her. As for her, a cloud shall cover her. Her daughter shall go into... Um, captivity and I will execute judgment on Egypt and then they here he goes again then they shall know that I am the Lord not dogs not cats not ibises or gazelles whatever they shall know that I am the Lord And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the first month, on the seventh day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I've broken the arm of Hophra, rather, of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, it has not been bandaged uh, for healing, nor a splint put on to bind it, to make it strong enough to hold a sword. Thus says the Lord, There surely I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, both the strong one and the one that was broken. And I will make the sword fall out of his hands. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the countries. I will strengthen the arm of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand, but I will break Pharaoh's arms. He will groan before him and groaning of a mortally wounded man Thus I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put the, but the arms of Pharaoh shall fall down. They shall know that I am the Lord when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon and, the stretches, and, and he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse throughout the countries. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So this prophesy against Egypt here now, you may remember in the book of Jeremiah what happened. Um, what happened? Remember the last king, King Zedekiah. Zedekiah, that that um, spineless king who would go when Jeremiah was in front of him alone. He would go, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. But then, as soon as he got in front of the false prophets or the or the evil princes of the land, he'd go, okay, I agree with you. And he went back and forth. Um, finally, he broke, remember what happened to him. He, he basically, he um, bolted from the city when Nebuchadnezzar had surrounded Jerusalem to destroy it. He and his family 
bore a hole through the wall, tried to escape. They found him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's men got him, killed his sons in front of him, plucked out his eyes, and he went off to, off to Babylon. If you remember, at that point, Nebuchadnezzar appointed a governor by the name of Gedaliah, who, we, who was actually a righteous man. But he was murdered. And at that point, the people said, that's it. We're going to get out. We got to get out of here because Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back because we've someone, this assassin has killed his guy and he's going to kill all of us. And Jeremiah, what did he say? Don't go to Egypt. Do not go to Egypt. Repeatedly. And, and eventually, um, remember they came to him. This is in Jeremiah. And they said, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're a holy man and you were right. God was going to destroy Jerusalem and that's exactly what happened. We'll listen to you now. Um, we'll do whatever you say. And he says, okay, do don't go to Egypt. What did they do? They went to Egypt. And what are we reading right now was going to happen to Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar was just going to go right down from Jerusalem, right down to Egypt. And so if they had only listened to Jeremiah and stayed put there, they would have been protected. But here you have it. Um, uh, It happens all the time. You know, if we're not in the word of God, if we're not listening to his still small voice. You know, I was just counseling a, a, a couple, a premarital couple, uh, getting preparing for marriage today. Man, if you are not in the word, if you're not in the word, every day, there's no margin for er- error anymore in marriage, but there's no margin for, for error really in our walk with, in, in this world. There's just too much going against us. If we're, if we're not in the word, listening to the Lord, we're going to get mushed. And that's what those happened to those people. They were told so specifically by a holy prophet who they had seen repeatedly his prophecies be fulfilled, but they still disobeyed him. They disobeyed the word of God. They went to Egypt. And then Nebuchadnezzar went down and just wiped out everything there. And so, man, so important to be in the word of God, listening to the voice of the Lord. Chapter 31, now it came to pass in the 11th year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom are you like in your greatness? Indeed, Syria was a cedar in Lebanon. Now, if you're into poetry, does anyone like poetry here? Please raise your hand. Someone raise their hand. I took two semesters of poetry workshop in college, and it was the best, most useful two classes I had in all my four years. That's a fact. Because it taught me how to to write and have discipline and language and guess what I do now? I just write all the time. I write all my sermons and, 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 and I love poetry. Well, this, if you like poetry, you're, you're really gonna, this is a powerful chapter, but even if you don't, you should, but if you don't, you'll like this chapter anyway. There's this imagery of huge trees in the garden, uh, uh, sort of in the garden of, of Eden, um, or which originated rather in the Garden of God, and and 
And of course, you know, after the fall of man, these, these, unfortunately, these large trees, they're defiled as well. And the trees represent different world empires and just all of them are being knocked down generation after generation. Eventually they fall and there's this picture. They're all now in the place of the dead. Sheol is what the Old Testament, and it's just this really eerie, powerful uh, chapter here. Verse 2, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, who are you like in your greatness? Indeed, Syria was a cedar in Lebanon. Now, remember Syria, 150 years before this time, was the world empire. It preceded Babylon as the world empire, and it just controlled everything in the world. It was just this killing machine And if you remember Isaiah and Hezekiah in Jerusalem where the Assyrian Empire, the the general, the king, actually Sennacherib, uh, surrounding Jerusalem and they tried to convince Hezekiah and the people in Jerusalem to give up. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 31, it says, Do not, they said to the people, Do not listen to your king Hezekiah. Thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you will eat from his own vine and every one of you from his own fig tree and every one of you drink the water of his own well. Lie, 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 lie. That's what Satan always does. He just promises the best until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. Lie, 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 lie. The Syrians used to take people and put a hook in their nose and drag them off. And as we saw in the story of um, Naaman the Syrian, many of them became slaves. But do not listen to Hezekiah. And then he goes on, and here, this gives you a, picture of the power that the king of that the Syrians had. Has any gods of the nations at all delivered its land for the hand of the king of Syria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Savarium and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Ooh, that was northern Israel. Samaria had been wiped out by the Assyrians. Everyone had been wiped out, including everything except Jerusalem, Judah. All of Judah had been wiped out. Who among all their gods, verse 35 of 2 Kings 18, have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem? Verse 36, beautiful verse, but the people held their peace and answered him not a word for the king's commandment was do not answer him. And we know the rest of the story. He, he went, cried out to the Lord, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah came in and says, you don't worry, these people are not going to enter the city. And 185,000 in the Assyrian army were killed that night by the angel of the Lord and they departed uh, back to Nineveh. And that was 150 years before Ezekiel chapter 31. And Ezekiel's telling Egypt, you know, you think you're really cool. You're this... You, you, you know, who should I liken you to? Well, remember Assyria? Remember Assyria? Remember that incredibly powerful empire, Assyria? They were like a cedar in Lebanon. 
with fine branches that, uh, that shaded the forest, and of high stature, and its top was among the thick boughs. The water made it grow. Under, underground waters gave it height, with their rivers running around the place where it was planted, and sent out rivulets to all the trees of the field. So this whole thing is like poetry describing a cedar. Verse 5, therefore its height was exalted above all the trees. Its bows were multiplied. Its uh, branches became long because of the abundance of water as it sent them out. All the birds of the heaven made their nests in its bows. Under its branches, am I pronouncing that right? Bows? Bows? Bows, bows. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field brought forth their young and in the shadow of all the great nations made their home. Verse 7, thus it was beautiful in greatness in the length of its branches because of its root reached to abundant waters. The cedars of the garden of God could not hide it. In other words, it, compared to all the other trees, it was by far the biggest. The fir trees were not like its bows. Boughs. The chestnut trees were not like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. I made it beautiful with a, uh, with a multitude of branches so that all the trees of Eden envied it. They were in the garden of God. Verse 10, therefore, thus says the Lord. And this, thus says the Lord God, this appears to be continuing to speak to, to Syria because you have increased in, in height. And it set its top among the thick boughs, and its heart was lifted up in height. So there goes the pride in the, this nation before it, this world empire before it, the Assyrians. Therefore, I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it. I have driven it out for its wickedness. And aliens, the most terrible of nations, have cut it down and left it. Who? destroyed the Assyrians, the Medes, and the Babylonians. Those are the most terrible of nations here. Its branches have fallen on the mountains and all the valleys. Its bows lie broken by all the rivers of the land, and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under it, its shadow, and left it. On its ruin will remain all the birds of the heavens, and all the beasts of the fields will, become, will come to its branches, so that no tree by the waters may ever again exalt themselves for their height, nor set their tops among the thick boughs, that no tree shall drink waters may ever be high enough to reach up to them, for they have all been delivered to death, to the depths of the earth among the children of men who go down to the which is the belief that it's the Hebrew word Sheol, the place of the dead. Thus says the Lord God, in the day when it went down to hell. Ouch. So with all its pride, pride is what, pride is what the sin of the devil, Lucifer, that's why he was cast out of heaven and pride is what fuels unbelief. It's what fills up hell. Pride. Because it fuels unbelief. Unbelief in the Lord. Unbelief in Jesus. Unbelief in who Jesus is. That he was the son of God. That he was God in the flesh. It's unbelief fueled by pride. In the day when it went down to hell I caused mourning. I covered the, the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it 
and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. So this picture of when the Assyrian Empire fell, just the whole world just contracting as a result of it. I made the nations shake at the sound of its fall when I cast it down to hell together with those who descend into the pit and all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water were comforted in the depths of the earth. Now that is quite a verse there. So it's so all these past empires, these peoples who had lifted themselves in in uh, up in pride, they're all down there in Sheol, and it says they're all comforted in the depths of the earth and the place of the dead. It, it's it's a sort of solace that oh these people have been sent to hell with me sort of deal. Now we know from. Uh, we know from the New Testament, and actually it will be next Sunday morning, <laughs> the beggar Lazarus and the rich man. We know from there that prior to Jesus crucified and resurrection, there's this place of the dead. Abraham's bosom was where the, the people who believed in the promises of God People who by faith had followed God went to Abraham's bosom. But the people who had rejected God, the revelation of God, went also to Sheol, the place of the dead, and in between them there was a chasm, a gulf, which no, it's, that's fixed, Luke chapter 16, verse 26, and neither can pass from one place to the other, a place of torment. That's what it's referring to in Ezekiel chapter 31. You know, in the Old Testament, it's one of the reasons we go through the Bible on Sunday nights, the whole concept of the afterlife not quite as developed. In Timothy, Paul says that life and immortality were brought to life through the gospel. Jesus Christ brought on a whole new dimension of revelation about what happens after death. But you do see glimpses of it in the Old Testament, including right here. So this strange, eerie picture of all these trees of Eden who had fallen in, in generations past. They're all in Sheol, the place of the dead, and they're comforted, the strange, demonic kind of comfort that, okay, it's not only us who are suffering, it's these people who are suffering. Of course, we're told never to do that as believers in Christ. And when we start, thinking, when we start rejoicing in the death or the, the punishment of anyone, we need to repent of that. It's part of, unfortunately, it's part of our, you know, the fallenness and wickedness of our hearts. But we, we need to bring all that stuff to the Lord. But this is what hell's like. People are comforted. All right, another person in hell. Good. There's a strange solace in it. They also went down to hell, verse 17, with it, with those slain by the sword, and those who were in strong, its strong arm dwelt in its shadows among the nations. Speaking of the this resting place of the dead. To which of the tree, verse 18 ends here, the chapter ends, to which of the trees in Eden will you be likened in glory and greatness? So this is, so the, most of the chapter was about Assyria, but now it goes back to, e back to Egypt. 
It says, to which of the trees in Eden will you be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord. And so, by the way, that, that reference there to the uncircumcised, we mentioned last week that the Phoenicians had a rite of circumcision, so did the Egyptians. And uh, they detested the uncircumcised people. And so this is like this message of ju judgment. You'll just be there in the place of the dead in the midst of all the, other un all the uncircumcised. That's where you'll be. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude. And, and, you know, we, our nation has been, you know, a great nation, a mighty nation. And uh, we are seeing a period of moral and spiritual decline in our nation. And... Uh, so important that we we recognize that who it was it was none other than God himself who raised up our nation the greatness of our nation is the fact that we have a heritage of those who feared the Lord who feared the Lord and God forbid that it's in our lifetime that we're another one of these great trees that originate in the garden of God that's just going to fall down and crash down to the earth. Like verse 16 says in chapter 31, I made the nation shake at the sound of its fall. God forbid that in our lifetime this happens. What we're praying for is a revival. I had someone this morning give me a prophetic word. They feel that there's going to be a revival right here in Boston. We're going to be right here in the middle of it. You know, when I hear stuff like that, I, just in my heart towards the Lord, I just say, okay, Lord, if that's you, praise the Lord. I'm not going to rely on that prophetic word from day to day for my encouragement. I'm going to rely on the word of God, but I'm going to treasure it up in my heart. It was given to me in good faith and just believe that um, that's what the Lord is going to do. I love, you know, I said, told you I was in Psalm 91. That's because I'm going through the Psalm. Psalm 92, I much prefer identification with the last four verses of Psalm 92, which says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. That's what I want to be doing in my old age. Right up into, no, I'm not old yet. Who said that? You did? That's, I'm not old yet. To declare the Lord is upright. They shall bear fruit in old age. That's what I want to be like that. 
fresh and flourishing, declaring that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. That's the cedar I want to identify with, not the cedar that is being cut down and crashing to the earth and joining the rest of uh, you know, uh, of those who have, who are actually in hell and torment in hell and with people, you know, arriving in hell. Oh yeah, he's here too. He gets to suffer too. No, no. Praise the Lord that in Christ we can have 100% confidence that we're on our way to heaven. God made him who had no sin become sin for us that we may become the right, righteousness of God. Hebrews chapter 10 says he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We can have full assurance that we will be counted amongst the palm trees, the cedars of Lebanon, which God has planted in his house and will bear fruit in old age and then pass from death to life, eternal life in heaven with the Lord. Okay, praise God for that.